Wisconsin's true home team is Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now featuring savings up to $2,500 off an installed patio door, up to $3,000 off an installed entry door, but only through May 31st. Set your free consultation now at PellaWI.com. Okay, let's go right ahead and start the show. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Lots of ground to cover on today's program. There is a sentencing that is just transpired, just finished up. I've been watching it for a good portion of the morning involving a a chronic drunk driver who hit and killed an off-duty police officer. I'll tell you what that sentence was in just a little bit, and we'll work our way through it. But let us start off, first of all, with a a challenging situation that is out there. The Milwaukee Brewers is off to a a record good start. Um, As of a couple days ago, I think they were 26 and 14. Now that they've lost two games in a row, but that was the best start that they they had had for the first 40 games of the year. It's really, really going to be challenging because they're on a very, very difficult road trip. Three games in San Diego. San Diego's pretty good. They lost, the Brewers lost last night in 10 or 11 innings in San Diego. Um, Then they go to St. Louis for four games. Then they go and they play um, Chicago um, three games, I think, in two days. Very, very challenging schedule. And on top of that, they're they're starting to get bit by the injury bug. Their right right fielder, Hunter Renfro, had to leave the game yesterday, and he was going through an MRI today. That's never a good story. Um, Their their starter, Peralta, the starter, he's um, going to miss a good portion of the year with um, a shoulder injury. They don't think it's going to need surgery, but that's not good. You've got Josh Hader, the all-pro reliever, who's not with the team because his wife is, is having a baby, and apparently she's got some complications, so he is appropriately enough with her. You've got Willie Adamas, who's on the injured list right now, due to come back in just a little bit, but uh, messed up his ankle a while ago. And so you've got all this going on when you're off on this very, very big road trip. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Brewers can somehow, I don't know, come close to playing 500 ball over the course of the next week or so. You've you got to think that they're in pretty good shape. They're playing an enormous amount of games on the road. So you have to think that this is going to be really, really challenging, but hopefully they will be able to pull it off. But again, you can hear the game tonight Brewers in San Diego, game two, had a chance to win last night, but just couldn't quite pull it off. Okay, let us get started. This story has been out there for for a week or two, and I've made a conscious decision not to discuss it because I, I really wanted to think about how I felt about it before we talked about it. Today, there is a piece written by um, members of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, which is really one of the, I would say it's one of the leading conservative law firms in the country. They take on all sorts of unpopular issues. I say unpopular, that is in the sense of the the idea that they're willing to challenge the notion of political correctness in order to enforce the law, and they win a lot, lot more than they lose. And this is one of the latest examples of it. Look, kids can be mean. Can we agree with that? Can we agree with the general thing that that kids, you know, grade school kids, middle school kids, high school kids, they they can be mean. There's all the different, for example, movies that have come out. There's the Mean Girls movie. You've got the different cliques that are in high school. Kids can be mean. There's no question about it. And when kids are mean, they they need that, that meanness, I think, needs to be addressed. At the same time, not everything is 
not everything is a federal case, is it? Now, I had a friend of mine who was talking the other day about how his wife works in, in this in a workplace. It is a it's a national organization, and he was telling me that. They have all, all the employees at this big national organization have been directed that they must, they must change their email signatures to reflect their preferred pronoun. So that has to appear on the email signature that, that you have. So, for example, for me, it would be you know, Jeff Wagner, talk, radio talk show host, Good Karma Broadcasting, and then it would have to have like something that says preferred pronoun, he, because if you're going to refer to me, please, please say he. You know, and in the case of my friend's wife, she chose she, but some people might cho- choose they or, or whatever. But the company is mandating that you put your preferred pronoun on your email signature. And I think many of us think that this is sort of a, well, sort of a silly overreaction because I acknowledge that there are a certain small number of people who get hung up in the whole pronoun thing and uh, identify as something other than either a he or a she. But that's still such a very, very small percentage of people. But because we don't want to offend anybody, we've got these companies saying, you have to do this. Now, companies can have rules, I, I guess, and that's one of the conditions. And if a company says, well, you've got to put your preferred pronoun on your email signature so everybody knows to address you as he or she or them or they or whatever it might be, you, you've told them that. I would think that this is, what's the word I'm looking for? Oh, yes, silly, but the company can do it. So anyhow, getting to the lawsuit that is out there, or the threatened behavior, Keel School, grade school in the district. Now, Keel is in kind of like Manitowoc and Calumet counties on the western shore of Lake Michigan. Everybody knows where this is. So what happens is Parents of a couple eighth-grade boys, three eighth-grade boys, their parents, they get a phone call from the school's district, and the district tells them that their kids, their eighth-grade kids, are about to be charged with sexual harassment under Title IX. No prior warnings, no discussions with the family. They are being told you're going to be charged with sexual harassment under Title IX. Now, Title IX is, of course, the provision of federal law, which, generally speaking, protects uh, individuals from sexual harassment, like rape, like incest, like inappropriate touching, and things of the like. So they say, well, what, what, did, what did my kids do? Did, did they assault somebody? What, what exactly did they do? And they say, well, they, they mispronounced pronouns. Excuse me? What parents say, what what do you mean they mispronounced pronouns? They said, well, there is a classmate. They have a classmate. And the classmate wants to be called them. Now, this is a, a, a single classmate. The classmate wants to be called them, and the children refer to their classmate as her. So this is what they call mispronouncing. So instead of saying them to the individual, they they, they called her, um, they referred to as her. 
because presumably, again, it's either a female or it's a female that's transitioned or in the process of transitioning to be a male, but the kids use the, the appropriation her. And the school district has decided that they want to make a federal case of this and charge them with sexual harassment under Title IX. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is it sexual harassment for eighth graders to mispronounce the pronoun? to call somebody she or her as opposed to them, which they the individual child would prefer to be called. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is how I see this. And, and I guess I lumped this into the category of kind of give me strength about this. So here's the deal. I understand that kids can be mean. And, and maybe the intent here was to be mean. Well, all right, assuming the worst-case scenario, seems to me what you do is you whistle the parents in and you say, Johnny and Joey and Harold, um, they've got this classmate, and the classmate is either a boy who is transitioning to a girl or vice versa, and the classmate wants to be called them, and the kids refer to her as her. Okay, and we'd prefer that they, they stop doing this. Or... Maybe it's, you know, if they don't do this, we're going to consider this the same as calling names or something. We might look at some in-school discipline. All right, maybe, maybe, maybe you feel fit to do this. But they're, they're pursuing charges, violation of Title IX, sexual harassment against these children, these eighth graders, for using a different pronoun, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this overkill? We discuss in just a moment. Jeff, if the eighth grade kids were stealing cars in Milwaukee, um, nothing would happen. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Yep. There's an element of that. Jeff, this is, not, of course, not sexual harassment. It is, however, a new form of bullying. Unfortunately, kids throughout the ages have been mean, especially in middle school years where immaturity abounds. We need to simmer down and not overblow every incident, whether it's about race, sexuality, pronouning, you fill in the blank. Yeah, I guess that's, you know, my point about this whole thing. Jeff, this is very much overkill. How can this be sexual harassment when a pronoun is not even a sexual term? What the school district should be doing is taking the opportunity to become better, and instead, I don't know what they're trying to achieve by going after these kids. It is sad that this is where society has gone. Then, of course, we've got Stephen Cudahy says, Jeff, once again, you've made my head explode. Really? Um... You know, yes, this is, it's mispronouncing pronouns, which now rises to the level of of Title IX. And see, here's the real problem with this, too. This, aside from being ridiculous on its face, well beyond the scope of the law, I think what it really does is it cheapens the, the very serious violations of Title IX that you end up having out there, where you try to take a situation that really is, again, worst case scenario, it is schoolyard bullying, and you try to turn this into a case of sexual harassment. My belief is you could probably take pretty much any situation of name-calling then and try to make a federal case of it. And is this what school officials really want to do? Well, wait, maybe up in Keele it is precisely what they want to do.
Waterstone Bank and WTMJ have once again partnered to recognize the heroes in our local community. Please join our very own Steve Scafidi all week as he honors police officers, firefighters, health care providers, and countless others who work every day to protect our families. This week, Steve recognizes five fearless individuals during Hero Week. Tune in every day during the 11 o'clock hour to hear one of our lucky winners. It's Waterstone Bank's Salute to Service on WTMJ. All right. We're number one, except this is not a category that you want to be number one in. At the BP gas station at North and Humboldt, the price of regular gasoline, one gallon, is $4.70. $4.70. Wisconsin's average for gas right now is $4.33 a gallon. According to AAA, that is the highest recorded average price ever. It's up nearly five cents from last week. It's up 48 cents in a month. If you're looking to fill up in Milwaukee County, the average price is $4.49 a gallon. Uh, Racine, $4.47. Waukesha, $4.44. Kenosha, $4.52. The cheapest gas in the state right now out of Gamey County, up in Appleton, $4.12. But the average price per gallon regular unleaded $4.33. That's the average, and that is the highest ever, $4.33. And I don't have to tell you that this is hurting consumers all over. You know, anybody who's driving their car knows that, hey, you got to have gasoline. You got to get to where you're going. You have to go grocery shopping. You have to take the kids to play practice and to school. You have to get yourself back and forth to work. This is hurting people, and it's hurting people in a big way, and there's no indication where this is going to stop. Now, we in Wisconsin, even at an average price of $4.33 a gallon, we still are better off in some places. The average price per gallon in California right now, $6.06 a gallon. And and who knows where this is going to stop? Now, anybody with an IQ above, well, I, I don't know, above like 21, probably understands that high gas prices are really, really bad, right? This is hurting all of us, and it is particularly the phrase they use is regressive, meaning that it hurts lower income people more. If you have a lot of money, you don't like spending $4.33 a gallon, but if you've got a 10-gallon, 12-gallon tank or whatever, and it costs you 50 bucks uh, to fill it up, you, you don't like paying that 50 bucks. but that 50 bucks isn't going to be life-changing. On the other hand, if you don't, if you are not as well-off or not as wealthy, and suddenly you're now paying 50 bucks for something you used to pay 25 bucks for, it, it has a big impact because you've got to figure out where that $25, where that difference is going to come from. Does it mean you're buying less food? Uh, does it mean you're substantially, you're not able to buy as many clothes as you used to for your kids? It, it causes lifestyle changes. So I think when it comes to gasoline, spiraling gas prices have a huge real-world impact, which is the world we now see that President Biden wants to live in. Now, President Biden has been a human gaffe machine. And if he were a Republican, these gaffes and I'm putting that in quotation marks, would be the lead story on a, on a regular basis. 
when you have um, earlier this week, when, when Joe Biden goes off script and says that the U.S. will get involved militarily and defend Taiwan, a position that no president has ever taken. We've got a treaty that says we'll supply arms to Taiwan, but nobody has ever gone as far as to say that, that we might actually get the U.S. involved in a shooting war with, with China. Well, Joe Biden says it. And now you've got all these aides scrambling, trying to, you know, walk this back. A while back, when you have, you know, Joe Biden saying that Vladimir Putin is a war criminal, um, all right, then you have people like uh, trying to, I mean, I don't disagree with the sentiment, but apparently that wasn't something that he was supposed to say. Three days later, he ad-libs at the end of the speech saying, Mr. Putin cannot remain in power. All right. In other words, he's now calling for regime change. And this, of course, causes all sorts of angst among the allies. I'm not sure I necessarily disagree with him, but he didn't intend to do it. He didn't intend to say these things. He just kind of starts talking and, you know, the words pop out. And then you've got all these aides that are running around and they've got to say, well, <clears throat> he, he really didn't mean that we were going to go to war with China over uh, Taiwan. And he, he really didn't mean that, you know, the only way that uh, this thing in Ukraine resolves is if Vladimir Putin is out of power. And, and we know what he said, but, you know, it's Joe. He doesn't necessarily mean that. Well, into the whole idea of gas prices now, now wades Joe Biden. Let us be honest here. Pretty much every policy that Joe Biden has developed since he became president has led to higher gas prices. Joe Biden is in bed with, figuratively speaking, with the environmentalists. Joe Biden doesn't like fossil fuels. Joe Biden doesn't like the internal combustion engine. Joe Biden because of climate concerns or whatever, wants to get us away from cars. He wants to get us into the renewable energy. And that's all well and good. But the problem is this country isn't close to being ready to, to do that. As we've talked about before on a number of situations, we, we don't have a— we don't have the technology now that makes electric cars feasible on a wide-scale basis. We don't have the power grid for them. We don't have the technology that allows them to the, the battery life to extend for four or 500 miles. We don't have the grid that provides for the quick charging. Now, maybe we will it someday, and maybe it will be affordable, and maybe that's going to happen 10 years from now, 20 years from now, but we're not at this point now. So it seems to me that what we need to be doing is, while at the same time we're moving towards these, again, renewable energy sources, we need to be doing everything we can to try to encourage domestic oil production, encourage drilling, encourage pipelines, encourage the development of refineries, and pretty much every Biden policy that he has adopted has been contrary to all of that. So yesterday, he's in a press conference with the uh, prime minister from Japan, and they're asking him about gas prices. And here is what he says, quote, here's the situation. When it comes to the gas prices, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that God willing, when it's over, we'll be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. So we're going through an incredible transition that's taking place and we're going to turn out to be less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. Of course, they're seeming to justify these sky-high prices that we're paying at the pump because, well, 
Okay, it's an incredible transition. And the more gas costs, this is what he is essentially saying, the more gas costs, the more people will stop driving or look at alternative sources. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My, my question is, is he high? I mean, seriously, 2020, here we are. It's, it is May, almost June of 2022. Maybe at some point in time, five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, economically, it will make sense to go to the electric car model and the renewable energy. Maybe. But we're not there now. Doesn't the number one priority need to be increasing the number of refineries, increasing the domestic oil supply, encouraging the different energy companies to drill, to explore, to produce? So until... Uh, again, the renewable sources of energy are, are ready, and we have the electric grids and all that. In, in the immediate future, I, I love this phrase that, you know, we're on an incredible transition. No, we're not ready for a transition. This is awful for people who depend on their cars and are going to be depending on cars for years. And don't we need to do everything we can do to try to get the price of gasoline down to $3 a gallon or $2.50 a gallon. And I understand that there are some factors like, you know, what's going on in Russia, the war in Ukraine, which have complicated this matter. But incredible transition. We are not ready to transition. Don't we need to be living in the present? And isn't that what Americans want and need? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Joe Biden... I'm not making this up, describes high gas prices as an incredible transition that's taking place that, God willing, when it's over, will be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels. Um, okay, and when would that be, Mr. President? Here's a couple texts. Jeff, you know, I do DoorDash for a living. A full day of work costs me $70 in gas. That's per day. 70 bucks. Jeff, my car uses premium gas. I'll fill up the tank at least once a day, sometimes twice, 17 gallons. I drive all day, every day for work, up to 600 miles a day, sometimes more. Jeff, it's 100 bucks to fill up my truck. We're canceling our an- annual holiday camping trips as they are four plus hours away with just eight miles per gallon towing a camper. Well, don't, don't worry about it because the president says we're going through an incredible transition and... We will come out of it better and stronger at some point in time because we're going to be less reliant on fossil fuels. Mr. President, why don't you concentrate on, again, doing something that you haven't done for the the first year and a half of your presidency, which is encouraging manufacturers, encouraging increased domestic oil production. The production of fossil fuels is still relatively cheap compared to other forms of so-called renewable energy. We don't have the technology. We're not ready for this yet. So you can continue to develop these things, and maybe someday we're all going to be driving around in electric cars. But right now, that is not feasible. So why don't we start, again, backing off on the threats of economic crackdowns on the producers? Let's encourage pipelines. Let's encourage the development of refineries, because like I say, there's still plenty of oil that's 
it's around, all we have to do is go get it. But a lot of the people that produce it, the oil producers, the refiners, whatever, they've backed off because they're afraid of the regulatory climate. They don't want to make these investments when you've got a White House that is hostile to the businesses, you know, threatening to do everything it can to shut them down. 855-616-1620. Meanwhile, you've got average Americans who are looking at skyrocketing gas prices. This is what the crisis is. And blaming it all on Vladimir Putin, I just don't think people are going to be willing to buy that. Let's start with Bob. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? Good. What do you think? Uh, this has got me so upset and so angry. I work in the banking business, Jeff, with with uh, in, in the auto industry with the banking business. So a cheap, not cheap, but a the most inexpensive electric vehicles you can buy that will maybe give you about three hours worth of driving are around forty to fifty thousand dollars. The extended uh, vehicles give you about five hours worth of driving for about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. People can't afford that. Number two, there's no infrastructure yep. to charge these electric vehicles once you leave home. We're not ready yet. Number three, what this is doing is killing the middle Americans' stock market, um, 401k plans. Me, myself, my family, my wife and I have lost almost $90,000 in our 401k plan since the beginning of the year. We're planning on retiring in two years, That's and we'll be 60, so we want to retire a little early. That's not going to happen. And every economist that you talk to tells you that the stock market, and I work with economists, is driven right now by the cost of energy. Mm -hmm. And we just were not ready. We have enough energy in this country to support the United States and Europe for the next 150 years. We have enough enough energy in this country to support the United States only for well over 200 years. Yeah. It's not time. We're not ready for this. Right. And, and maybe we will be at some point in time. You know, may, we, maybe we will have the infrastructure. But, you're, you know, you're, you're exactly right. Electric cars right now are, are a niche. That, that's, they are expensive. They, they might be fine for people if you want to, like, trundle around town or something like that. But if, if, you, if you need to drive your car, you know, 300 miles a day because of work or you want to take your car on a long trip, it's just not practical in the real world to do that. And I, 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 and, and I don't know why we, well, I mean, I understand why. Like, like I said earlier, Biden's in bed with the, the environmental lobby, fossil fuels bad, internal combustion engine bad. So let's just shaft everybody and maybe we'll make it so expensive that people will just, will, won't drive anymore. Well, that's just not practical in the real world. No, the technology is not ready yet. It's going to be ready, yeah. but it's not now. And it's not cl- already i mean you're talking another maybe 10 15 years yeah. for it to be ready not ready now i can't even get to buy the least expensive electric car and drive to see my kids in eau claire where they go to college yep. because it won't make it that far right and it's, and, just, it's so right. frustrating and, and if you could and if you planned ahead and you found a, a charging station somewhere along the way and you were willing to stop and wait for two or three hours to, to recharge the car and then you could go on, that, that, that's all well and good. But that's just not what our lifestyle is. You, you can't have people expected to stop and wait an hour or two hours or whatever it is if they can find a charging station. You need to be able to pull off the highway, go in, relieve yourself, get a cup of coffee, fill up the car and get back on the road in 10 minutes. That's, that's just what our lifestyle is. We're not ready to make those changes. 
changes. And to your point, we shouldn't have to make the changes right now because fossil fuels are plentiful and they're cheap. We just have to stop the war on the manufacturers. Let's let's move towards energy independence in that way. Now, thanks for call. I appreciate it. 855-616-1620. Chris, Chris, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. You know, this just just burns me up. Um, the other day I, I pulled in our driveway and a farmer who, who farms our field um, was planting and he, you know, got off to just, you know, chat. And he was talking about how expensive the yeah. fuel is for, you know, the seeds, the farmers. And, you know, it's not just down hometown people or city people. You have to think of the people who are hauling cattle, mm-hmm. hogs, farmers, food, um, you know, all the little, uh, even the people who mow your lawn, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just disgusting. And it's just such a joke. And we have the ability for fuel here. And yeah. then, you know, now we're crippled because of this fruitcake. Yeah. Well, you know, talk about, I mean, you know, we haven't even talked about diesel. I mean, what, what, what's diesel? Probably at least a dollar more, maybe around oh. five fifty or so. And, and, and we, last yeah, I checked, like yeah. And last I checked, I mean, we, we, we don't really have diesel engines that are electric engines that are powering the trucks and things like that. And, you know, you know and to your point, Chris, you're, you're absolutely right. It's a, those costs get passed on. I mean, that's and that's one of the things that leads to the inflationary spiral. If you've got the trucking company that now costs them, that their costs have gone up 25 to 30 percent to get the food to the grocery store that they're bringing, well, okay, so they're they're going to add 30 percent to their costs, which means the grocery store is then going to add 30 percent plus whatever to yep. its costs, and, and we all end up paying it. No, that, thanks for call. But, but the president says we're in the middle of an incredible transition that, God willing, is going to you know bring us out of the current mess that we're in. It's going to bring us out, and, and we're going to be you know stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when than when this whole thing started. To which, again, I, I seriously wonder: is is he delusional? Is he high? What what exactly is going on here? And why aren't we prioritizing not glorifying high gasoline prices and trying to pass it off by saying, oh, it's 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 all Putin or it's these evil oil companies? We'll talk more about that some other time. It's a whole special topic, this whole idea of, oh, it's all this price gouging. Well, okay, you know, everybody that rolled their eyes when Donald Trump said, well, you can use disinfectant to get rid of uh, COVID— Saying that the high price of gasoline is like is blaming it on price gouging from the oil companies, that's kind of and there's an analogy in the New York Times about that today, that that's kind of like saying, okay, you know, disinfectant, you know, you can use it to fight COVID. It's one of the big lies that's out there. But again, if if you're somebody like Joe Biden in the environmental lobby, which wants to force us out of our cars, this is viewed as a good thing because, gee, people aren't going to be able to afford to drive. Now, how are you going to get your kids to school? Well, that's up to you. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. As long as we are talking about out-of-control prices for things, let me revisit something we discussed a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, a lot of times on the program, we'll, we'll talk about leisure time activities and vacation choices and things of the like. And I, I've told this story before. I, I did not get the Disneyland or Disney World gene in my family. My my brother, my brother did. My brother likes roller coasters. And so for years, he has made a point of taking his, his kids. Now they're getting older now, but they've gone down to, to Disney. And 
on occasion, um, my wife and I would accompany, you know, his family to, to Disney. And even though for us it was kind of a waste because we weren't like roller coaster people and stuff, it was nice to have a family vacation. I, I'm looking at this stuff and I, I'm kind of coming to the conclusion of, of never more because in all honesty, I do not understand how a, a family – could afford to go to Walt Disneyland or Disney World. We'll talk about Disney World specifically. And and I just, at some point in time, I, I understand that you, you want to take your kids and you want to have an enjoyable experience. But at some point in time, and I, I think we're, we're arguably there, doesn't a place just price itself out of, of of existence. I mean, I love Key West. Key West is my happy place. The last two times I went to Key West, it's always been stupid expensive, but now it's like really, really, really stupid expensive. The hotel we stay at, which is a great hotel, I mean, I mean, I thought when they charge $500 a night, I thought it was ridiculous. You know, now they charge $800 a night for essentially the same room. And I'm like, huh? And I appreciate that things get more expensive. And I understand people are coming back from a pandemic. But I, I'm kind of at the point where I don't think I'm going to be going back to Key West for a while simply because I just can't justify spending $800 a night to stay in the, the hotel that I want to stay at. And I understand I could maybe find a cheaper place, but that, that's not the way I want to do it. So anyhow, got the story about Disney World. Now, here's, here is the, the deal. Fox had this. Family of four. Family of four. The deal was um, they got park hopper tickets, and those are the ones that let you go to a couple of the theme parks in a given day. For a family of four, well, first of all, it started off, they used to have this thing called the Magical Express that you could, you know, you, you fly into Orlando, and as long as you're, it's like a courtesy shuttle. So it would it would take you for free up to Disney World. They don't do that anymore. So they shell out $200 for private transportation to get to and from the airport, Okay. Park hopper tickets, and those are the ones that let you go to a couple of the theme parks, $2,550 for the five days that they attended. The four nights of lodging, now they stayed on property, $3,780. So you're talking about with the tickets and the just staying there, you're already north of $6,000. You add in the, the private transportation the back and forth, you're at $6,500. Once inside the park, they spent $300 on Genie Plus passes for their entire trip to skip the lines in order to avoid spending all the time waiting for rides. The parents said they paid $950 on sit-down meals and another 700 or so for snacks and souvenirs. All told, um, over $8,500 to, to spend four nights, five days at Disney, not including the airfare, which, they, I mean, they flew down there, so that jacked it up to over $10,000, over $10,000. And if you say, well, maybe there's cheaper ways to do it, well, I don't know, Um Disney has been raising all sorts of prices. Let's say you stay off property. Well, staying off property to park on the grounds starts at $25 a day, goes up to $50 a day. If you stay at one of the hotels, parking is no longer free. It's $15 to $25 a night to do that. So they're charging for that. 
Um, let's see. They no longer have the free fast pass system. Instead, they have a, a paid service, a lightning lane system to help you kind of bypass that stuff, but you got to pay for it. But the bottom line is you are talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for for a vacation. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Just like I, I look at the price of gases, gas like when we were talking about in the last segment of the program, and I just recognize how that is, at least at these ridiculously high rates, is causing Americans to kind of change the way they end up doing things. I would never tell people how to spend their money. But having said that, when you look at these different costs, I do not understand how an average family can go on a vacation like this. Because can't I mean can can you can you figure out some ways to do it cheaper? Can you stay off property and maybe knock off a little bit of money? Yeah, but then you're talking about renting a, a car, for example. So you've got you know that cost that is added on. Can you not eat as much or not eat as much on property? Yeah, okay, you can do that. You can nibble around the edges, but you're still going to be talking about okay, maybe you can get by. You don't get the park hopper passes. You'll only take the kids to one one. Of, of the different, you know, venues in a given day. Oh, okay, so maybe, you know, by the time you factor in transportation, and if you drive, it's going to cost you a fortune because of gasoline and hotels and stuff. So maybe instead of $10,000 for a family of four, you can do it for seven grand. But who can do this? Seriously. I mean, who can do this anymore? 855-616-1620. Now, Disney, don't get me wrong, it's, it's a private company, and they can charge what the market bears. And nobody holds a gun to your head and says, okay, you got to take the kids to Disney World this year. I'm just saying at prices like this, given everything else that's going on, I don't know who it is that can afford to go to Disney. And I I know that um, you might be a huge fan of Disney, and I get the fact that there's people who love it and go there on vacation all the time. But seriously, who can afford this nowadays? And I guess my question is, are they ultimately going to be making a mistake? Are they going to price themselves out of the market for all all but the wealthiest Americans? And... Those wealthiest Americans have all sorts of other choices. Will they continue to want to go to Disney? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Dave. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? So, yeah, um, so you got, you were talking about this, I think, you know, a couple of weeks ago, too, kind of the same theme. And, you know, we go down to uh, Anna Maria Island, which is a little north of, of where you go, I think, Fort Myers. Uh-huh. And, you know, this year um, just trended, everything was, like, so ungodly expensive. Um, You know, the lodging was relatively the same because we stay at the same spot kind of thing. So we fly into Tampa, and then, like, our drive is, like, you know, hour, hour and 20 minutes or so. And the rental car is, like, 700 bucks. Yep. It's like, really? Okay, well, you got to get there. And we don't really drive around down there. And the whole entire week... We spend literally twenty five bucks on gas, right? And the and the rental car is that much money. So it's just like, you know, we still do our things down there. We don't go sightseeing. We just I swim in the Gulf of Mexico. I eat good food and, and play tennis. So it's like, I mean, I'm pretty simple, but it's like when you write it all down, it's just like, holy smokes, that's a lot of 
Yeah. I thought well, a three-hour can of tennis balls was cheap, but not anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. No, no, thanks to call. And, I mean, look, and, and I understand there, there's ways to, to, to do things cheaper, and, and nobody says you have to go on vacation, and nobody says you have to go to a particular location or, or whatever. But but some of these tourist places, the, the truth of the matter is, if you're set up— I, Somebody texted me, and they're right. Walt Disney would be rolling over in his grave. I just read a book on, on Disney and the creation of Disney World and stuff, and, and they wanted to make it— an affordable place for families to go. It was actually in Disneyland was the book, and then Disney World came later. But they wanted to make it an affordable place to go. Well, I, I, if, if you're talking about you know ten grand for four nights, and again that's that that's probably on the high end. You could do it a little bit cheaper, but you're not going to be able to do it a lot cheaper. How are people going to be able to afford to go? Are you killing uh, the, the goose that laid the golden egg? Scott Menominee Falls. Scott, you're on WTMJ. <laughs> Hey, I've been there 39 times. I used to take my son down. We'd go stay at a mid-level hotel. We'd stay for, with tickets into the parks and food and everything, I'd spend $700, $800. We were down there in February, did not stay on property because the rates were too high. Um, We bought one donut and two lemonades. It was $21. (laughs) I wanted to buy the 50th anniversary Christmas ornament. It was $100. The 50th anniversary sweatshirt was $245. And by the way, you can only buy two items in a gift store right now. Really? You are limited to buying two items. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and the sign's up all over. You can only buy two items. And it was $45 to park the car, not 35 or 25 <laughs> It was $30 to do what used to be called the Fast Pass. Now, I've committed to my 8-year-old granddaughter that I'm going to take her in December because I promised her that years ago. After I take her when she's eight years old, I never want to go back there again. My travel agent has been working on it. We're going to stay at a mid-level hotel. We're going to go in Thursday night, come back Monday night. And for my son, daughter-in-law, my two grandchildren, and us, I'm figuring on a minimum of $10,000. I can get you to Europe for less than that and back, you know? Absolutely. I, I listed all these other places to go. And plus the fact we did not opt for the $30 Fast Pass. Yeah. And at Hollywood Studios, the waits were two to three hours a ride. Yeah. Yeah. So, so essentially, you're you're spending. If you don't spend the buy those fast passes, you're you're you know maybe you're going to get three or four rides in the whole day if you get there at the opening. And so the kids spend all day waiting in line we to get on a ride. Studios. We were at Hollywood Studios for six hours and got on two rides. <laughs> and everything that I used to enjoy at Hollywood Studios, like the uh, great. The ride, the, the right. backstage tour, the, the stunt cars, all that stuff is gone. It's all focusing on Star Wars now. Uh, uh, oh, <laughs> that's no, I, I would tell you if I waited, if I went to a place and I waited in line for two rides to take maybe three, four, five minutes and it took me six hours to go on those two rides, you would have a very grumpy guy by the time that six hours was up. <laughs> and, and I was, Jeff, I was by the end of that day. Yeah. Epcot seemed to be a little better. Yeah. Uh, we got a lot more stuff at Epcot. Um, how you, on, on Animal Kingdom, we were on the, uh, the tour of the uh, safari, we were on for about 10 minutes. The ride stopped, the bus stopped, and sat there for an hour and a half. And then the guy goes, you're going to get a really neat experience. We're going to exit and go through the backstage area, so you'll get to see all the workings backstage. 
It was a bunch of square buildings with cars parked around them. <laughs> well, th- thanks for the call. I say, I'm glad I didn't, I'm glad I didn't get the Disney gene because I mean, look, and I appreciate it was always it was always expensive, you know, when when we would go down there, but. But at the same time, first of all, it was just my wife and I. It was just the, the two of us. But it was always expensive than we would go when we would go go down there. But at this point, it's kind of gotten, like I say, stupid expensive. Now, if this is if this is your goal and this is where you want to go, that that's fine. But I do think at a certain point in time, there is this price point where people start to say this just doesn't make sense anymore. And I gotta wonder whether Disney is is hitting that point or whether they've passed that point. <laughs> Debbie and Franklin. Debbie, good afternoon. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Um, you know, I'm just calling to say that we're Divi- uh, Disney Vacation Club members. Right. And thank God we are because we can at least go once a year. We used to go twice a year. Um, but we, we don't have to pay for that board. You know, our hotels are included. Right. Did, can I ask um, you this? I was... The meals- I- I, I I was just mm-hmm. to to buy the the Disney Vacation Club. It's kind of like a timeshare, right? That's sort of like the timeshare right. that they have. Correct. Okay, I just what during the break, I was just look. I'm looking at their website. Um, it says like at least right now, if if I were to call up this afternoon and I'd want to buy into it, that the starting starting price is thirty one thousand. That's the starting price. I can take advantage of right. convenient financing, ten year loan with ten percent down payment. <laughs> I, this, I, I'm sitting here, Debbie, thinking, yeah. oh my, oh my God, they're talking about a you ten-year loan for for a, for a vacation right. club for Disney. <laughs> well, you know what? I can tell you that you know we were fortunate enough. Um, you know, twenty years ago, yeah, maybe fifteen yeah. years ago, we bought, um, paid cash for it. Right. So you know, maybe yeah. like thirty thousand, but we don't have to pay those five hundred dollar right. a night room fees. Right. Um, so I, and we take advantage of it, and that's I'm what I was so going, happy we had. That's what I was going to ask you. I mean, so obviously, it was a substantial investment that you made, you know, twenty years ago. Right? Um, did you have any hesitation about are we really going to are we going to want to go back to Disney? You know, once or twice a year, every year, because to make it worth work, you you really got to go back there. I would imagine. Well, in actuality, we actually went a couple for a couple of years before we bought into the vacation club. Okay. Because we do like going, you know, right. we have our favorite restaurants and our favorite places to go. And even to this day, my husband, our kids are grown, we take our grandchildren, but my husband and I, we we can just go down, stay at a nice place with a nice pool, you know, yeah. eat good, maybe go into the park once or twice. Right. They have um specials for um Right. Park passes like in the evening for vacation clubs. Right. So you get in at a more reasonable price. Right. Right. Can you for people who aren't part of the vacation club though, you understand can can you can you imagine these costs when your people are talking about like ten grand for oh. you know vacation for a family yeah. of four? Yeah. Yeah. It's that an, is outrageous. No, it yeah. is. It, well, that, and that's sad. Very sad. Well it is. No, thanks for I mean I think Walt thanks for the call. I think Walt would be rolling over his grave. Now obviously Again, if if you if if you got it, and, and it's it's kind of like a timeshare. But I'm I'm looking at the thing now. Um, purchase price starting 
to starting member, and this is kind of like the baseline starting to get in. You got to come up with thirty-one grand. That's to start. That's I don't know what you get for that thirty-one grand, but um, you can take advantage of convenient financing starting at four thirty-six per month for a ten-year loan with a ten percent down payment. I, I, for for my vacation at Disney World, I don't think so. Back with more in just a minute. Here's one of our texts. Boy, going to Disneyland, Disney World sounds so expensive, it makes the beers at Miller Park seem reasonable. <laughs> okay, CJ, this, this is a true story. So um, on, on Sunday, I was with my my stepdaughter and um, my, my son-in-law, and they're, they're very, very nice people. They went to the Kenny Chesney concert at American Family Field a, a week or two ago, and my, my son-in-law, Darren, said, I forget how we got on this, but he, he said that he, he bought the first round of, of drinks. And, of course, you go up there, and they, they said, you want a single or a double? I was, we were, and, they, oh, of course, we want a double. It was, for one round of drinks, it was 108 it was yeah with the, with the tip it was like over a hundred dollars they were like twenty four dollars a drink times four yeah so you know you do the math this you, tells you how long it's been since I've been out by the look of horror <laughs> on my face yeah that's but that's it yeah the, the yes the the mixed drinks if you get the double you know hey you want a single or a double I'll take the well, double you got to go up right, all the way up there, right, right like twenty four bucks a a drink now I think if you just would have gone with the single you could have gotten away with like eighteen bucks so it would only have been seventy five such a saving <laughs> it's but it it's so it does I mean so I mean maybe you know for everybody who thinks that that's crazy expensive, which, by the way, it is, um, you know, I don't know, maybe go down to Disney World and then you, you really get sticker shock. I don't, I don't know that I ever thought that I would be doing a topic on my radio show like the one that I'm about to launch into, but I've just... I, and I, I've been looking for like what the hook is to start the conversation, other than the fact that I have been, as a news junkie, I have been watching this train wreck that has been unfolding in a Virginia courthouse going on for the, the better part of, of a month. And I admit that even though it is a story that means absolutely nothing in my life and, and doesn't have any sort of impact at all. I mean, you, you can make an argument that there's a lot of stuff going on in the world that, that has an impact. I mean, why should you care about the war in Ukraine? Well, you should care about it because it, it affects world peace. And, you know, if, if we were to somehow get sucked into a World War III, that would be just a, a massive mess. The war in Ukraine, you know, affects the food shortages out there. It affects the supply chain shortages. It arguably affects, affects to an extent, the price of gasoline, all, all those different things. So, so you should care about that. Why should we care about, you know, COVID? Well, of course, because COVID, you know, you could get sick. You Somebody you know could get sick. It also, you know, has the collateral effects of, or do we need to shut down the economy again and things like that. So there's a lot of national stories or international stories that you should care about because they impact you directly or perhaps indirectly. And yet there's some stories that we are just fascinated by that have no meaning in our life at all. I am talking, of course, about the ongoing defamation trial between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Now, for those of you who have not been keeping score at home, Johnny Depp is, of course, the international acting superstar, probably most famous, forget probably most famous, 
for uh, as long as we're talking about Disney for his role in the Disney films, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean series. He's he's uh, played Captain Jack Sparrow. That that was a thing. Um, he's also done a lot of other movies as well. Uh, Johnny Depp, for people who haven't been paying attention to this, um, Johnny Depp had been involved with a woman um, who father who had he fathered two children with uh, a woman. Her name was Vanessa, something or other, and they'd been together for like fourteen years. Uh, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, who was uh, uh, an actress, certainly not of his stature, they they meet on on a movie set. They start um, having a torrid affair. He leaves his, they weren't married, but he, he leaves his, you know, live-in lover of 14 years and the, the mother of his two children. He leaves her for Amber Heard. They end up getting married in 2015. It is not exactly a marriage made in heaven. The marriage, all in, all done, they divorce in 2017. So maybe by Hollywood standards, it's a long-standing divorce. But they, they divorce. It is not a, a pretty divorce they um she as part of the divorce things accuses him of domestic abuse um but there's some back and forth a lot of the stuff doesn't become public and ultimately they they settle he pays her millions of dollars they go their separate ways all right so that's it what happens then is that um, a couple years later, at the height of like the, the Me Too stuff, she ends up writing an op-ed piece in the Washington Post. Matter of fact, I'm looking at it now. And although she doesn't name him by name, it, it's clear that the reference she's, she's making is to Johnny Depp, and she accuses him of essentially being a wife beater. All right, he he then not liking to be called a wife beater. He says, well, I, I was in line to make all these other movies with Disney uh, reprising the role of Captain Jack Sparrow, and once she accused me in the Washington Post of being a wife beater, th- these these offers went away. So this cost me like $50 million because she accused me of that. So he files a defamation suit against her. She responds by counter for he wants fifty million, which is what he says he lost out when he lost his Pirates of the Caribbean gig. She responds by counter suing him for a hundred thousand dollars, hundred million dollars, uh, alleging that again he was a wife beater, stuff like that, and the, the whole thing just goes nuclear. So there's been this jury trial that's been going on in Virginia. Why in Virginia as opposed to California, where they both live? Well, uh, Depp brought the lawsuit. Um, the Washington Post, apparently, that they publish in Virginia or something like that. So they sued in Virginia because the defamation laws are more favorable to him than they would be if they went to California. So that's why the case is in is in court in, in Virginia. So it's been going on for, you know, the better part of a month now. He's on the witness stand and, you know, having to talk about all the the, the, the drunken shenanigans and misbehavior and stuff that he engaged in. She's been testifying for the last couple of weeks about all the stuff that, that she did. And it's just, I, I admit, I, at first I wasn't going to pay attention to this, but then I, I found myself just getting sucked into it under the general category of, I don't care how this whole thing turns out. It doesn't make any difference to me, other than the fact that if there were ever two people who kind of deserved each other, it seems like it's it's these two folks. And, I mean, it is the classic example of Hollywood excess and out-of-control celebrities who are completely and totally out of touch with the real world who, admittedly, seem to have had a, a very 
um, volatile relationship fueled undoubtedly also by drugs and by alcohol and, and all this stuff. And I'm kind of watching it again, admittedly, not really caring how it turns out. I, I don't know. My guess is the jury. If I was on the jury, I think my reaction would be just, you know, a pox on all your houses. I, I, I don't see them giving Johnny Depp tens of millions of dollars, although, you know, Amber Heard is coming off worse in, in the press. But I've been watching this back and forth, just thinking, who does this kind of stuff? And, and, and is it is it people that are just so desperate for clinging celebrity and so desperate for the, the publicity that they're willing to go out and just kind of bare their souls and all the, the crazy stuff that they, they engaged in and just kind of put this all out there? Or is it possible that you, if you're in Hollywood long enough, you get just so detached from reality that you don't realize that this is crazy stuff, like like going on the, the cocaine-fueled binges or the alcohol-fueled binges or this? Is, is it possible that you just don't even realize that this is just so abnormal to most people. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, just one segment on this. A- am I alone in this? Ha- have have you been following, even vaguely, that this Johnny Depp, Amber Heard lawsuit? And if so, why? Because <laughs> I, I, I'm asking myself that question when I when I read the news accounts of oh, what's the latest stuff that that happened today? It's kind of like why are you why are you doing this, Jeff? And 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 maybe maybe it's the the, the same reason that I watch reality TV shows like the the Deadliest Catch or Gold Rush or Bering Sea Gold because even on my worst days I, I'm not jumping off a boat in the Bering Sea and trying to vacuum up you know scuba diving and trying to vacuum up gold from the seafloor or I'm not on a crab boat in the middle of January off the Russian waters trying to haul crab in it so m- maybe it just makes you feel good because no matter what happened in your life that day I guarantee you it's not as weird as what happened you know in the lives of Johnny Depp and Amber heard if you've been following this trial at all 855-616-1620 and like i say if so why we discuss in just a moment waterstone bank and wtmj have once again partnered to recognize the heroes in our local community please join wtmj steve scafidi all week as he honors police officers firefighters health care providers and countless others who work every day to protect our families this week steve recognizes five fearless individuals during hero week tune in every day during the 11 o'clock hour to hear from one of our winners it's waterstone Bank's salute to service on wtmj i just I admit I've been morbidly fascinated in this this Johnny Depp, Depp Amber Heard trial, and it's long story short. Again, she they were married for two years, tumultuous relationship, divorced under really really bad terms. They reached a settlement. They they put out this joint notice saying, "Hey, we're all lovey dovey. We're moving on." She writes an op ed post in the Washington Post. While she doesn't name him, it's certainly clearly. A, accuses him of, of being like a wife beater. He takes exception to that. He sues her for defamation. She countersues, and now they're on the witness stand talking about what was clearly a marriage made somewhere lower than heaven sort of relationship. And I, I, I admit, I, I try to stay away from the tabloid stuff, but I'm kind of fascinated by this. Jeff, I watch this the same reason I watch NASCAR. I look for the crashes. You know, there's an element of that. Jeff, it's like crack, so they say. Try it, watch it once, and you're hooked. The Internet memes that come from this trial are absolutely hilarious. Let's talk to Eric. Eric, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. 
Hi, Jeff. I'm calling. Uh, I'm watching not on live on Court TV or anything, uh, but for a little different reason. And that is that I went through a, an extremely messy divorce uh, about 10 years ago with, with little kids. And when the court case started looking like it wasn't going her way, that's when she pulled out the nuclear option and accused me of doing just horrible things, unspeakable things to my kids. Now, you know, as far as domestic abuse goes, I I get it. Probably nine out of ten times the the accuser is probably right. But in those cases like mine where it wasn't, it's a long, protracted court battle to try to clear your name. And the truth is that in the court of public opinion, like my kids, friends and, 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 and associates in the city, uh, you, I already lost, and it took years and years and years to get that, that reputation back. So right. I guess I'm rooting for Johnny for that reason. Right. No, thanks. Well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, and, and it's it's tough, I guess, in many respects to relate because they're – well, here, I mean, here's the way the L.A. Times describes it. It says, um, no matter how you slice the at times horrific statements made by the witnesses, the Depp marriage, heard marriage, was an abusive one. Depp, by his own testimony, struggled with addiction to drugs and alcohol and was often angry. Heard, by her own testimony, was also often angry, destructive, and violence. She claims Depp trapped her in a cycle of abuse familiar to many domestic violence survivors. He pretty much claims the same thing about her. And it's so, so it's kind of like the, this, this back and forth sort of stuff and I I again you know may, maybe if your own experience and you can kind of relate to it and I don't I'm kind of of the opinion of just sort of a pox on on all their their houses I I do think it's interesting that it's getting all this attention that it's getting when you put in perspective what all the different real issues we have going on here my guess is if you take a poll more people would know about oh I don't know that the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial than they might know about well, I, I think maybe a lot of the criminal trials or a lot of the, the true, this is a defamation suit, but a lot of the cr- true criminal activity that's going on around here. Jeff, I'm not watching it, but I really can't help seeing it because every media outlet is covering it one way or another. I have a couple of observations. I think they're both detached morons. Um, it looks like Amber Heard is really trying hard to appear clean and wholesome, and Johnny Depp seems like he's just being himself. Um, yeah, it's... It, and maybe this is it's I'm sure there will be books written about this later on because the, the the general sense of the coverage and stuff and on the internet is is people are much more supportive of Johnny Depp um, but that's because people just think of him as Jack Sparrow and and they love Johnny Depp and you know they, they view her as this sort of vengeful whatever that's you know out to get money or, or whatever forgetting the fact that that he's the one that brought the lawsuit I, I I have no idea what went on between the two of them other than to say as I've just said repeatedly, it doesn't appear like it was exactly a marriage made in, in heaven, if you get that idea. Jeff, I think it's um, a distraction from important things that are going on. Well, it might be, you know, it might be that, um, you know, so I, I think, you know, that's it. Um, you know, there, there's no question about it. Jeff, I listen to your radio show every day, and I text you every day on subjects you speak of. This is one I think I'll pass on. <laughs> That's Well, I, I understand that, because it, occasionally, you know, what do you say? Jeff, I watch the Johnny Depp Amber Heard uh, junk trial because occasionally I need a good laugh. Well, it is one of those things that if you just want to understand how just out of touch 
some if you want to understand why the Hollywood celebrities are so out of touch and it's so kind of funny when they want to tell us whatever your politics are when they want to tell us how we should vote or how we should think you just kind of look at this lifestyle and you uh, kind of shake your head Jeff Johnny Depp is my favorite living actor um, I have no interest in his personal life I haven't watched one minute of the proceedings in fact um, I just you know what I what I've heard about it it sounds like a soap opera drama for those who have no life of their own well it, it, it's definitely a soap opera drama it's kind of it but you, you always get this attention it was sort of like a, it reminds me very much of the michael jackson trial that, that went on and i mean whether you think michael jackson was a child molester or not the truth of the matter is michael jackson was a very strange guy just a, a very strange guy and the parents of the children that allowed them to stay over at Michael Jackson's place were very very strange parents and it's again it's one of those things that you just think man are are people this kind of out of touch with reality in any event the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial winding down then the case goes to a jury. I have no predictions on how it's going to resolve itself other than, like I say, I think if I was on the jury, my reaction would be, well, I'm not giving him $50 million. I'm not giving her $100 million. I'm just, I want to go home. <laughs> I want to go home. And I, if I'm on the jury, I'm saying I want to go home and I want to take a shower and I want the last 30 days of my life back. And I want to send these people back to California and let them figure out what they're going to do with the rest of their life. The one thing that we do know is Disney apparently says they're just done with Johnny Depp. So that the Pirates of the Caribbean series, it might go on, but it's not going to go on with Captain Jack Sparrow, or at the very least, it's not going to go on with Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Are these people nuts? No, no, no. Don't don't answer that. That's that's kind of a rhetorical question. Uh, Last week, I told you about an op-ed that appeared in the local newspaper, and it was written by two of these retired lefty professors from one of, from MATC. And it it argued in the strongest terms that the city of Milwaukee should not be competing um, for the Republican National Convention in 2024, essentially because Republicans are evil, white supremacists, and bringing a $200 million convention to the city really doesn't mean that much anyways, and we are morally superior and to all those evil Republicans, and we don't want them here. And, and I talked about it, and I kind of ridiculed it. Matter of fact, I think I sent a tweet out on it, and the, the, the local newspaper published uh, a Another opinion piece by one of the local restaurateurs who said, this, this is just great for the city, and we don't care about blue or red. We care about green, and that's what it would be. And I, I, th- I thought that you know most rational people would say, you know, we, we, we don't care about politics here. If you have a chance to bring a, a giant national convention to the city of Milwaukee, we, we should do that. Isn't that why we're spending the millions and millions and millions of dollars to try to expand the convention center? Because we believe that when you have conventions that come into town, they do bring in all sorts of dollars with them, and it's a desirable thing. At least that's what I've been told to justify the, uh, again, expansion of the Wisconsin's convention center. But apparently that doesn't apply in the minds of some people when it's it's Republicans that are coming in. Well, I, it, at the one time, I mean, I thought I was just like I say, a couple old lefties who were just kind of angry and bitter, and um, they're far superior because 
they are liberal and compassionate and understanding and all the conservatives are evil but but there there is this this little train uh, that that's now that people are jumping on about this i mean the latest story here's the way the journal sentinel reports it five milwaukee community and labor groups today have called for the city to reject the 2024 Republican National Convention. Now, this is the timing is important because tomorrow a common council committee is going to have to vote on on a a, a vote on a contract because before the Republican National Convention would consider coming to Milwaukee, there'd have to there has to be an agreement that's been negotiated, and the agreement says who's responsible for this cost or that cost, and what is the city going to provide, and what is the Republican National Committee going to provide, all, all those different things. So the there's a common council committee that's going to be voting on this contract tomorrow, and then ultimately it goes to the entire common council. All right, so here's the, the groups. Now, it is, it, it's, it is kind of a who's who of the left wing in Milwaukee. This is the, the groups. Vochas de la Frontera Action. That's the you know, pro-illegal immigrant um, group. Power to the Polls. The Milwaukee Area Labor Council— Never again is now. I have no idea what never again is now. And SEIU. So the, at least of these groups, you, you've got two. You've got two groups that supposedly support organized labor. Now keep in mind what's so interesting to me about this is that if the Republican National Convention comes into town, brings fifty plus thousand people, brings two hundred million dollars, a, a lot of the hotels they stay at are going to be unionized. A lot of the restaurants that they patronize are going to be unionized. So by these organizations opposing the RNC, what they are essentially doing is economically, figuratively speaking, cutting the throats of their own membership by you know saying, okay, well, you know, you're, the hotels that you work at or these businesses that are unionized businesses, they're going to benefit from all this convention spending. Well, you know, we, we don't want you here, which is kind of interesting, and you wonder if most of the rank and file would feel the same way. Anyhow, here's what a portion of the letter says. The Republican Party, both nationally and in Wisconsin, has become an organization that supports white supremacists, the violent attempted coup at the U.S. Capitol to overthrow a democratic election, and continues to engineer new ways to undermine fair and democratic elections, the group wrote in an open letter issue Tuesday. The group claimed we must not normalize the far right that has captured the Republican Party, and presumably— after the November elections, when, if all goes according to Hoyle, the Republicans who control the uh, the Assembly and the Senate in the state of Wisconsin and have a very good chance of taking back Congress, both houses of Congress, and the governorship in Wisconsin, presumably this group will be upset that they then control you know both houses of Congress and um, you know all three branches of government in the uh, in Wisconsin. The group claimed we must not normalize the far right that has captured the Republican Party. So these lefty groups are trying to pressure members of the Common Council to vote no on this proposed agreement. Now, the mayor, who is not a fool, recognizes that there's an incredible economic benefit to the city, and he's pushing for it, and he says that he thinks that the full council is going to um, approve 
this. He says, well, I understand what the organizations are saying, but the city hosting a convention does not indicate support for the Republican Party's platform. He calls his support for the convention a business decision, saying it would help the city's businesses and economy long term. This is what the mayor says. I think the RNC presents a tremendous opportunity for us in Milwaukee. I think it prevents a great opportunity for Milwaukee to be in the national conversation, to be a city that other large conventions and other large events look to. I want the RNC to be the bedrock for a new, stronger convention and tourism economy that we can build here in the city of Milwaukee. Okay, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Bunch of lefty groups saying, we don't want the evil Republicans here. And like I say, interestingly enough, a couple of the groups are, are even, you know, organizations that, that supposedly are supposed to work for workers who, by the way, would benefit a lot from having 50,000 people coming and spending their money. But apparently the politics and the hatred of Republicans outweighs whatever economic benefits the union memberships would have, which, again, makes you wonder if union membership is struggling nationally. Maybe you get some idea. But let's tee this up. All right, the idea is we don't want the Republicans here because we don't like their policies and we think they're all white supremacists and things like that. 855-616-1620. All right, how do we handle this? And is this a message? I mean, the RNC hasn't decided that they're coming here. Is this, together with all the crime that's happening in the city of Milwaukee, is this is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? Should the RNC still you know, be pursuing efforts to come here, or should they just say, let's go to Nashville, 855-616-1620? I, I personally very much hope the RNC comes here for just a lot of reasons. I think it would be great to, you know, cover— cover a Republican National Convention in in the town I, I, I work in and grew up in. I, I think that would be great. At the same time, you know, if you've got stuff like this out there, now I recognize that we're talking about some fringe groups here, but if if the city of Milwaukee and our elected officials would be so stupid as to decide, <clears throat> you know, we're going to get in bed with some of these, like, left-wing organizations and, and we're going to say no to all this money, it just it that to me would say everything you need to say about you know what passes for leadership in the city of Milwaukee. Would it be a good thing to have the RNC here? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. My answer is of of course it would be, and from perspective of Milwaukee. I think Milwaukee should collectively be doing everything it can to roll out the red carpet, recognizing that, you know, given a lot of the problems that this city has, there there might be all sorts of legitimate reasons why the RNC wouldn't want to come here, much less being told by at least some of the groups you wouldn't be welcome. 855-616-1620. Would it be a good thing to have the RNC here? My answer is you, you bet. It's happening to someone right now, and there's a chance it could happen to someone you know. We're talking about domestic violence, and this week on Wisconsin's radio station, WTMJ's Alex Crow investigates three different tragedies that happened right here in the Badger State, how they happened, and how incidents like these can be prevented in the future. Tune in every day on Wisconsin's Morning News at 5.50 a.m. and Wisconsin's Afternoon News at 3.35 p.m. The stories that matter to you on News Radio WTMJ. If you're just tuning in, what we're talking about is... Uh, The latest letter, and this is a letter that was released today um, by a number of left-wing groups, including a couple couple unions, 
urging the Common Council to just say no to the Republican National Convention, to deny, to vote down that this contract that's being proposed. Now, the RNC hasn't committed to coming here, but the, the first step is that, that there needs to be this agreement. And the argument is not that they won't bring a ton of money here. It's just that Republicans are evil. They are white supremacists, and we need to have nothing to do with them. Jeff, I'm in full agreement with the mayor about bringing business to Milwaukee. I'm not a Republican, but I'm also for fiscal responsibility. With a recent fiasco with the shootings, it would be great if the RNC would come here to confirm that we are an outstanding city to hold a convention in. I also think the money that it would bring would be great. Jeff, this should be proof to any members out there that unions don't care about the workers. If I were a union member and saw this kind of thing going on, I would get out of the union as fast as I could. Um, yes, um, that's that's it. Matter of fact, one of our textures says, well, remember when Republicans didn't want the Democratic convention to come here? No, I, I don't. Matter of fact, I, I think pretty much everybody recognized that, oh, okay, it's not my side of the aisle, but it would be great for this city. It'd be great for the region to have had the Democratic National Convention here because it brings a lot of people here. They're spending money here. You get the TV cameras that are here. You get exposure because once they go outside the convention hall, you know what they're also doing is they're looking at some of the other stuff that's going on, the lakefront, all the different activities. It's great free publicity. So you've got that. Jeff, I love how the left calls for exclusions of some groups that don't agree with their agenda. Isn't the left all about inclusion? Well, no, not necessarily, because you have to understand in the minds of some people, the um, they're just they're just evil. Jeff, I don't think this is mainstream liberal views. We shouldn't give the extreme yokels a platform. I, I don't know. We're talking about SEIU. You're talking about this is I mean, you know, I understand some of them are these fringe groups that, you know, nobody's ever heard of. But, you know, also signing on to this silliness, the Milwaukee Area Labor Council, SEIU, it's more than just, again, some of the, again, what I would call the arguably like the, the fringe political groups that are out there that are taking this position. Um, Jeff, I, I think this is pretty much the same people who turned down hundreds of good-paying meat processing jobs, and then complain that there are no jobs in the community. That's it. Jeff, there was a um, talk show host on another, on an urban radio station, not one affiliated with this company, who stated this morning that inviting the RNC here would be just like inviting the KKK, and she invited her listeners to contact the Common Council and say, definitely not. You know, I just... You hear stuff like that, and you just kind of shake your head, and you wonder if people seriously believe this, or they feel that they just have to have to say that because it appeals to I don't know the, the fringe that they are trying to appeal to. Jeff, are these people two years old? They're acting like toddlers whining about toys. I think the money should override the silliness. Well, I think there's an element of that. Um, yeah. Now, look, I, here, here's the downside if the Republican National Convention comes here. You know that, you know, th- there's this attitude that's out there that, oh, the Republicans are white supremacists and stuff. And you know it makes grounds, uh, Milwaukee ground zero for protests and stuff like that. I, I happen to think that you could address the security to, to deal with all that. But, you know, there, there will be protests and you will be— 
you would be bringing those protests to town, and you'd have to figure out how to deal with them. But I think you you could deal with them. And I was part of one—I went to one political convention in my life. I went to uh, San Diego when the Republican National Convention was there in— um, 1990, uh, I want to say it was 1996, I I think is when I I went there. And and it was, I mean, back back then, security was tight and stuff, but it was was a fascinating thing to to go to. It was a fascinating thing to attend. And I think for, you know, everybody around here, it would be fascinating to be a part of it. Let's talk to Kent in St. Cloud. Kent, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, I, I just think, I believe that the uh, the left is missing out on a great opportunity to get their platform out there, too. I mean, if the convention's coming to town, mm-hmm. you're going to have all this national news in town, and they'll be able to—I'm sure they're going to get their say. Yeah, yeah, right. Matter of fact, they will be—the the mainstream media will be falling all over themselves to find people all who over. are going to yes. respond to, this person made a speech, or that person made a speech, or whatever. Here, give us the Democratic response. You're, you are, you're exactly right. This, this will be—they will have a field day finding, you know, left and far left and crazy left people who want to come and respond to what's going on in the convention hall. You're right. Exactly. So— yeah, I, I think they're missing out on it. Well, no, thanks for calling. It is it is this incredible short sightedness that you find. Look, look. Here's the bottom line. This this to me is kind of the equivalent of saying, you know, we don't want the Northwestern Mutual Convention to come into town because, well, we don't like Northwestern Mutual. We we think people should buy be buying insurance from somewhere else. So here, you know, let, let let's let's keep them out. I mean, bottom line of all this is, I understand that that some people. Some people just wish the other political party would go away, but that that's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, like I say, I, I think by the time 2020 rolls around, you are going to see the majority of Congress is going to be held by, by Republicans. So you can have the, the fringe that's out there that's saying these are, are evil, et cetera. It's just terrible. You know, we're going to stick our fingers in the, our ears, and, and we're going to say we, we don't want to hear any of this sort of stuff, and don't come here and don't bring all this money. Now, I mean, some people might think that that's the way to proceed, but I, I think— if it were me, I'd be saying, hey, let's roll out the welcome mats. Let's roll out the red carpet and um, bring money. And, and by the way, we hope you have a good time, and we hope you enjoy some of the things that you've seen, and we hope that you end up coming back a year or two later when you're not attending the convention, and you stay at some of the hotels, and you go take in some of the events at the lakefront, or you go, I don't care, you know, you go check out some of the restaurants you might have been to. Wouldn't that be the way you would want to approach things instead of, they're just evil, we don't want them here? But I guess some people just can't get past that. It has been an amazing last 25 years or so, I was thinking the other night about all the different changes that have gone on in in the world, the technological advances and everything that's happened in the world just over the last 25 years, just over the, for example, the the, the time that I've been doing a radio show here on on WTMJ. Probably the the biggest advance would have to be the Al Gore inventing the the Internet, um, just because that has, for better or worse, it's changed the way 
that, that we communicate. It's changed the way that we get information. It's it's affected you know the media, it, it, just everything. The, the ability to access you know all the information that's out there in the internet. The ability to communicate via email and things of the like. I, I think obviously in the last twenty five years that's probably been the most transformative thing. And I understand if you're if you're twenty one years old. You, you've never grown up in a world without the Internet, and you don't know what it is that these things that we, we speak of. But you used to, you know, you used to, if you were going to do research on a topic, you used to have to go to these places called libraries, and you used to have to, you know, look up things in, in books, and you'd have to go and you take those books off the shelves, and you'd have to look at those things. If you were studying to be a lawyer, you have to go to, like, a law library, and you'd have to actually find the the book in the Wisconsin Reporter or the federal law, the federal books or whatever, and then you'd have to kind of open it up and read it. Or, or maybe you, if you wanted to take it home and read it because you were studying it, you, you'd have to go to a copy machine and you'd actually have to make copies of that and then you'd, you'd take it home and you'd study that you know it was just now of course you, you don't do that now you you're, you're curious about something you just okay open up the internet go to google search or whatever it's going to be you type in the keywords and you find all the information that you could possibly want so i, I think if you were to ask me that the biggest technological development i think clearly to me it would be the internet but there there is Something which is is the second thing that I would say, and it, it ties into the end of an era. It used to be back in the day that if you wanted to communicate with someone, you actually had to use this thing that we would call a telephone. And in people's homes, you had landlines. I mean, there was a telephone pole that was outside your the, your home or your apartment building or whatever, and the line came in and it went through the walls and there were phone jacks and you had, you know, phones that were actually plugged into that and you'd pick up the phone and you'd get a dial tone and make a call. Now, maybe, you know, you are one of the handful of dinosaurs that still have, have a landline that's out there, but that that's not the way of the future. Most of us long ago have cut the cords and we, we use cell phones. I don't have a landline. It's just, it, it's the, the cell phone. I and And those have, of course, become ubiquitous. The other... Thing. In addition to the landlines, there were these things out there, and again, if you're under the age of, of 20, you, you might not be familiar with this thing of which I speak, but there were these things that were called payphones, and you would find payphones all over, and what would happen is you would go to the public payphone, and you'd go up, and you'd pick up the phone, and you'd put I don't know, whatever it was, it, it was a dime at one point in time, then it was a quarter, and then maybe it was more than that, I don't know. You, you put the money in, and then you'd actually dial the number, and, and lo and behold, you know, you, you would make a call, you'd, you'd call home. I mean, I can remember back in the day when I was traveling at airports, and you'd have a layover, what would happen is, you know, people would get off the plane, and the first thing they'd do is they'd run to a bank of payphones that you'd find in the airport, and, you know, you'd, you'd be making calls, or you'd be you'd be checking, you'd, you'd call your administrative assistant and say, okay, what are the calls? I got. I just got off the plane. I've got you know another hour before I got to catch my phone. Then you'd stand in my next plane. And you'd stand at the payphone and you'd, you'd make all the, these different calls. Well, you know, payphones. Good luck finding one of those nowadays. And I bring this up because a couple stories. New York City, where at one point in time there were tens of thousands of payphones, 
um, including the old-fashioned phone booths. If you are of a certain age, you remember Superman? You know, Superman used to change his clothes in a, in a phone booth and stuff. And um, if you've, you remember seeing the old movies, people would go in and they'd, they'd actually have the separate phone booths where you could go in and you open the door and you go in and you close the door behind you. And if you wanted to use that pay phone and somebody else was in the phone booth, you'd have to stand outside and wait for it. Well, as of... 2015, March of 2015, so seven years ago, there were about 8,000 public payphones still in use around around the city of Manhattan. Yesterday, yesterday, the last of the city's street payphones was disconnected and and pulled off. It was they carted away about 10:30 yesterday morning, and it's going to be taken to a museum to, as the, the last example of a payphone. So no payphones, at least no public payphones. I think in New York there's there's a restaurant that has like four phone booths or something like that that I think might still be functional, but the payphones completely and totally gone. All right, our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When did you realize that that the way we would communicate was was just going to change so dramatically? Because I guess partly to me, it's not just the fact that you you can make phone calls with the phones anymore. It's that the fact that your phone is so much more than, than a phone. I mean, you've got the, the smartphones. I mean, and I don't know about you, but I use my smartphone. Yes, do I make phone calls? Yes, I occasionally make phone calls with it. But principally, I mean, I use it as, as like a personal computer. I mean, I, I'm using it to check my email. I'm using it to check my messages, my text messages. I'm using it, you know, to access the Internet. I'm using it to check the weather. I, I would actually say that my, my cell phone as you would describe it, I probably only use it for, you know, cell phone activities, certainly less than 10% of the time. All the other times, I'm, I've got my apps on the phone. Say, hey, you're going to the ballpark, I've got the ballpark app. Here, I've got my tickets to the game that are all there. I would have never dreamed that in, I don't know, over the last 20 years or so, that communication would change so dramatically that... Essentially, the, the pay phones, which have been all over, they have been ubiquitous for decades and decades and decades and decades. Watch the old movies from the 30s and 40s. You'll see people you know, on the pay phones. They might be a little bit different, but now they're all gone. They, they have just completely and totally disappeared. I don't know if there's any left in the Milwaukee area. There used to be one or two that were out at State Fair Park. I'm not even sure that they're there anymore. But did you see this coming that, that pay phones would have just completely and totally disappeared. And I don't know. Do you miss them at all? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, if you would have told me, I don't know, 50, 20 years ago, if you would have said, Jeff, this way of communicating, these pay phones, this thing that has been such a part of life for decade after decade after decade, it is going to be rendered completely completely and totally irrelevant by, again, the next step in technology. I can see it for some things. I'm not sure I would have seen it completely for phones. Are you surprised that the pay phone has just completely disappeared? 855-616-1620. We discuss. 
855-616-1620. Jeff, I'm 24. I can remember when I was in elementary school, there was a gas station that had a pay phone in their parking lot. I used uh, I used to go there, call my mom, and let her know I was going to with friends. The next year, starting junior high, I got my first prepaid cell phone. Um, come eighth grade, 2011, I got my first smartphone. It was then I knew communication would be changed forever. The old saying your math teacher used to say that you won't have a calculator in your pocket forever no longer was applicable. Other than that, my knowledge of them comes mostly from TV and old movies. I've never personally used a phone booth. Jeff, growing up, my dad always reminded us to be sure to have a couple of quarters in our pocket so we could call if we ever needed anything. Um, Jeff, I, I remember in the late 80s, I worked at a mall. I can remember answering the random ringing payphone when I worked in the mall. Um, Jeff, I thought payphones would become obsolete a long time ago. You were um, right. Jeff, remember the movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure with Jim George Carlin? They traveled through time in a phone booth. Some irony to that. Um, this is how things changed. I grew up near 35th and Greenfield in the 70s. We had a couple in the neighborhood who were in their 80s that would come over and use my parents' landline because they never had a phone installed in their home that they lived in for over half a century. How times changed. Yeah, there's no question about um, <laughs> about that. Jeff, I realized things were changing when I got my Razor, the phone, and learned how to text. And then when cell phones had unlimited call and text. Yeah, that's, you know, the, the other thing is, and this wasn't that long ago. You know, it, when you go to the pay phone to make like a long distance call, remember and those, you know, and you'd have your, your AT&T card or whatever your long distance card was, and you'd dial like 1-800, and then you, you'd put in what your code is, so you would be charged, you know, the whatever you'd be charged for the long distance call. It, it's just, and now, of course, you know, you don't even do fool with those things anymore. It's just kind of all-inclusive. Um, Jeff, I'm 26 years old. I think I just missed the phone booth era. I never, ever used one. Jeff, 1978, I remember calling home from the Marines with a handful of quarters. Um, man, times have really changed. No, they they definitely have, have changed dramatically. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Keith. Keith, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, I have a rec room in my basement, and from the city, I bought from an auction, I bought a payphone. Okay. And um, it's in my rec room. And hello? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, we can hear you. So, um, in the rec room. No, I'm sorry. And in the rec room, I have this payphone. And when we, are, we get together with family, um, so like for a Packer game, whatever. So you can close the door and go inside the go inside the payphone, and the, the sort of noise is silent. Uh-huh. So it, it works out awesome as far as in the basement for a rec room, and that's the only landline I have in the house is for that payphone. Okay, do you have and, to do you, uh, do you have to put a quarter? Well. Do you have to put a quarter in it or anything, or does it just it's just hooked up? Is no. it free? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I lim- I eliminated that where yeah. you don't have to put a quarter in it, but everybody from the party has their cell phones, but everybody <laughs> still goes in that booth and closes the door, so I- you do not hear the background noise. Yeah. And it, it's awesome. I love it. Everybody loves it. So they, I think they come over just to use my PayPal. I, you know, th- so you know, I actually, awesome. no, thanks. You know, actually, I, uh, I hope my wife isn't listening to this. I, I was actually thinking, okay, honey, if you're listening to us, I understand we have no place to put this in, in the house. But I, I'm thinking, you know, I, I could see like a phone phone booth or or one of I, I something that used to be at the airport. I we have no place to put it in the house. I understand it, but. 
You know, just kind of like I've always wanted a big boy statue. I, I could see. I think that that might be good. Jeff, I think I realize the change as I see how my kids are unable to function with an old landline phone. Have you ever seen a 10-year-old try to use a regular phone? It's hilarious. They don't know how to hold it or how to end a call. They have no idea how to hang up a phone. Well, I, you know, I think that there's probably an element of, of that. Jeff, in my senior year of high school, I taped a dime and a few younger classmen, I, I taped a dime and a few younger classmen girls to call me when you're 18. <laughs> that's, that's, that, well, that was the whole idea. Um, Jeff, I thought the payphones were the dirtiest germ thing. Always use tissues on both ends. There's probably an element of that. Jeff, in the mid-70s, we put a dime in our penny loafers in case we needed to make a phone call. Um, you know, that's, that's, um, great. I know it, it, it is. Okay. Here's somebody saying, Jeff, um, there is a, I believe that there's a, um, I believe that there's still one left right next to Big Boy. Huh. I'm, there's, I think they're talking about the Big Boy in Germantown. Don't know, but it's, it definitely has been the end of an era. Ralph in Des Moines. Ralph, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. I don't know if you recall this, but, but the safe house had a, had a pay phone. Yeah. Inside. And I always remember going there. You'd want to go in there because they had recorded messages. So basically, you could play in the background, like you could call your wife, and it had like ten different recorded excuses. <laughs> one was like a office, and there was typewriters going on. One was a sporting event. One was street noises, and I forget all of them. But there was ten different choices, so that you would have that particular background <laughs> to match your excuse. Yeah, that's you know that's it. And I, I wonder if they still. I want, I haven't been to the safe house in years, but I, I wonder, my guess is they Neither probably, have I. I, my, my guess is at least they probably still have that phone booth that you were supposed to go into where you pick it up and you say the code words and then they let you in and stuff. But I haven't been there in ages. No, these are great yep. memories, just great memories. But I, I just, it's amazing to me. I guess really the, the reason I bring this up is these were pay phones. Were, were just such a part of American life for for so long. And it really hasn't, I mean, look, I, I get it. Cell phones are ubiquitous. Cell phones are, are comparatively cheap. Everybody has the cell phones. And if you don't have a smartphone, you're still hanging on to that flip phone and things like that. So you've got the internet access and all this. It's a, a phone just isn't a phone anymore. It, it's much more than that. But it really wasn't that long ago that, you know, you used phones to do what the principal thing was, to make calls. And life was so very, very different not that long ago um, when you, you would, in fact, hey, okay, I've got a little bit of time. i got to find a f- pay phone. And then a number of people are pointing out, remember pagers? Because uh, before there were cell phones, there, there were pagers. I mean, I remember back in the day when I was practicing law, that that would be the thing. Your, your your beeper would be going off all the time, and you'd 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 look, and there would be a number, and you're supposed to call back. I, when I first started chasing drug dealers, that was one of the things we get a hold of their pagers, and you'd find that they had, you know, a thousand. I, that was one of the things we do. The average busy doctor gets two hundred pages in a in a month. Here, you know, we've got this guy who's got no visible means of support. He's got a thousand pages. What's going on? Well, he's a drug dealer and stuff like that. But I mean, that's all been blown out of the water by, again, the smartphones. And it really makes you wonder and excited, what's, what's the next step? Where do we go 
from here, given where we've gone from the beepers, where we've gone from the, you know, from just the uh, pay phones and things like that and the landlines. If we've done that in just the last 15 or 20 years, what's it going to look like 20 years from now? Can't wait. 